And the Bible teaches that all humanity is under the authority of God. That every human leader is subject to God over all. He rules over all. And the good news is that he's not a tyrant. The good news is that he is a shepherd. He's a shepherd leader. Look at what he says in Psalm 100 verse 3. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Or look at Psalm 23. I I know some of your, your favorite psalm. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads, my, leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. And your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Notice the tenderness right away. You can notice the tenderness perhaps, but, but it's also probably true that there's a danger in using ancient shepherding metaphors to explain leadership. And the danger of doing that today is that I'm pretty confident that nobody here is a shepherd. So correct me if I'm wrong, but no one here is a shepherd. We're, we're a long ways from an agrarian, uh, small subsistence farming uh, kind of a world. We're a long ways removed from this. So we need a little bit of explanation of the shepherding metaphor, that analogy, I think, to understand it more fully. So we're going to do this uh, by talking about one of the ways that, that Emelina, one of the young women here at the church recently when she was in Ireland, how she had sent me these wonderful pictures, uh, maybe some of you guys as, as well, of sheep on these verdant green pastures. And Ireland, is like, it's like sheep heaven. You know, uh, St. Patrick a long time ago, as the story goes, drove out all the predators, the snakes are gone, you know, and it's just unending, you know, glowing green fields for forever, it seems like. And the sheep flourish. And what's important for us to know as we look at shepherding is that Israel is not Ireland. <laughs> Israel is not Ireland. And where St. Patrick got rid of the snaky predators, uh, Israel had bears and lions in its ancient times. Not only that, it wasn't very green. It was, it was a desert or at least had lots of desert area and only some seasonal pastures that you had to be brought to or led to if you were to survive as a sheep. And so a shepherd's job, his job was this intimate care for his sheep, to be with them, to care for their well-being. And they would lead these sheep through the deserts and they would lead them through fields that would nourish the sheep. And the shepherd had two tools for his trade. He had a club and the club was used to to beat off the lions and to beat off the bears. I mean, I think ancient shepherds must have been pretty tough if they could beat off lions with their clubs. Um, They also had a staff. And the staff was used to direct and to guide the sheep, to to take them away from the places that were dangerous. Uh, And then actually in Psalm 23, when it says, lead me in paths of righteousness, it's actually talking about lead me on straight paths. Lead me directly to the good place. Not, not on like the, the meandering ways. God, God is a God who's kind and doesn't wear out his sheep, but, but brings them directly to what is prosperous and what is powerful for them, to what's restful and healthful. And moreover, in ancient society, shepherding, it wasn't a commercial enterprise. I think that's the other image that we often bring to it as moderns. 
It was this personal relationship that you'd have with these flocks. The shepherd would sleep in the field with the sheep. He'd know them by name. He'd know what they needed. So when an ancient person then read Psalm 23 or Psalm 100 verse 3 and heard the words, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. These are words that were just ripe with tenderness, compassion, with care, with recognizing that this God who is over all, who has all authority and all power, that that he leads in a way that's very different than the kings of earth. He cares for his people. God himself chose to communicate his leadership in this imagery-rich way, full of compassion. So shepherd leadership is significant, first of all, because it describes in the Bible God's own leadership. Describes God's own authority. And only secondarily then does it describe human leadership because human leaders in the Bible were called to be imitators of the leadership that God also exercised. They were to be shepherd leaders in imitation of God. However, we have this problem in this world. It's called human sin and it turns us from from love to God and and love uh, for our neighbors and makes us just love ourselves and to use the resources and the things of our lives selfishly in ways that are harmful to others. And it was no different with the ancient kings. They were famous for this. And so Israel's kings and the kings around them were known less as shepherd leaders and more as selfish, oppressive leaders. There's one famous example of this in 1 Kings chapter 21. And there we read the story of King Ahab. And what happens with King Ahab is he wants his neighbor Naboth's vineyard. And I think you have to imagine behind the scenes in the story that he's sitting there on his deck and he's looking at over Naboth's place and the sun's hitting the vineyard just right. And he's thinking, man, it'd be so great if I could expand my garden. I'd really like to do that. But he tries and and Naboth says, sorry, King Ahab, I can't sell it because it's illegal. According to God's law, I got to keep an inheritance for, for my kids and my kids' kids. And then Ahab keeps pressing and he gets kind of pouty and his wife Jezebel comes around and he says, Ahab, what's the deal? Are you a king or aren't you a king? And Jezebel, she's actually not an Israelite. So she's not raised under the teaching of, of shepherd leadership that was in Israel. She was raised under the, the strictures and the instruction of the kings around Israel, which is like, man, might makes right, Ahab, and you're the king. So just do what you got to do. And so Ahab, he has Naboth killed and he takes his vineyard. And it's a way of wicked leadership. But even here in the story, we see glimpses of God being this good shepherd who protects his sheep from wicked leaders because he sends the prophet Elijah and Elijah comes and he, he calls Ahab to repentance. And for a time, Ahab does repent and he calls judgment down on Jezebel. And she's the one who famously in the Bible uh, falls to the ground and the, and the dogs go and they lick up her blood in the streets. See, sadly, What happens in the story of Israel is that king after king in ancient Palestine lived a lot more like Ahab than the good shepherd, God himself. And the good news of scripture is that as the story progresses, it becomes clear God's not going to let this sort of thing stand forever. And he starts to send prophecy after prophecy that there will be a good shepherd, one who will come, who will put an end to the wickedness of humankind in the way that we abuse leadership and authority. There's a prophecy in Ezekiel 34, 22 to 24, I want to show you. There, long after David, God says through Ezekiel, his prophet, these words, I will rescue my flock. And at that point, they needed a lot of rescuing. They shall no longer be a prey, 
And I will judge between sheep and sheep, and I will set over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he shall feed them. He shall feed them and be their shepherd, and I, the Lord, will be their God, and my servant David shall be prince among them. I am the Lord, and I have spoken. And what becomes apparent in the narrative scripture is that, that this isn't actually referring to David. David was long dead at the time of this prophecy. This is fulfilling other prophecies that speak of the son of David, the descendant of David who would one day come, who would enter this world with all authority and all power, but actually would be a good king, a shepherd leader. So let's look at our second point then, the way that shepherd leadership fundamentally looks like Jesus, the one who's come in fulfillment of these prophecies. Look at Jesus' words in John 10, verses 10 to 15. Jesus, in his earthly teaching ministry, he he spoke these words to his disciples. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. And the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand and he doesn't care about the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the father knows me and I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep. See, Jesus, he entered this world as the good shepherd par excellence. He came in fulfillment of God's prophecies. And when you look at his life, he's just a different kind of leader. A different kind of leader in the kind of ways that I think all of us can recognize if we open the gospel, whether we believe in Jesus or not. That this is different. There's something fundamentally different about him. The Bible is clear that he was God most high, And yet he came down to earth and he didn't use his authority to serve himself. He was born a human. He was born as one of the flock. He became a a sheep to be the shepherd leader of the sheep. Just think about that for a second. With that kind of power and authority, it would have been possible for Jesus to rule for himself and for his own benefit more than any CEO in history more than any king in history, more than any politician in history, but he didn't. He had all that authority, all that power, and in this way that is so different than how we use power and authority, he laid it down, became the servant of all. He's the king of kings and he becomes the servant of all. There's this one very famous illustration of this in Jesus' life just before he is crucified and he dies on the cross where his disciples are, are eating dinner with him in the upper room and, and he comes to them and he takes this position that was only for the lowest of the most lowly servant to, to wash the feet of his disciples. And they're so appalled that Jesus would do this and he insists, I need to show you what leadership really looks like. A shepherd leadership that washes the feet of my disciples. And this is just an image, by the way, he says, of what's going to happen in just a little while. That I'm the kind of God who has come to be humble, to actually pour out my life so that I won't just cleanse you from the dirt 
and the, and the refuse on the streets on your feet, but to cleanse you from the sin that's in your heart, to cleanse you from the wickedness and the guilt and the shame that, that are yours and the penalty for sin that is yours. And to wash it all away. See, we're awed, I think, by power and by leadership in lots of examples in history, aren't we? You can think of some great names in history, names like Artaxerxes, right? Names like Alexander the Great, maybe names like Cleopatra, names like, uh, I don't know, Steve Jobs, <laughs> if you want to get modern and CEO powerful about it, names like Isabella of Castile. But how different is Jesus and his power and his authority? He's not a powerful leader who gets the job done, but with questionable character. Jesus, when we look at him, he is virtue. He is righteousness. He is, he embodies compassion in his very being. And we see it in his life. He defends the weak and the powerless. He's the kind of God, the kind of power, the kind of authority that welcomes children to him when even his disciples are saying, Jesus, you don't have time for kids. And he welcomes them up there on his lap. says, let the little children come to me. He's the one who protects those who are vulnerable and who are being oppressed as he goes into the temple and he clears it. He makes a whip of cords and he drives out those that were uh, oppressing and, and monetizing what it meant to come near God and be in his presence. He says, no, let the welcome of God stand so people can come and worship him. And when the religious leaders put pressure on Jesus in his day to, to bend to their legalistic rules about not doing any work at all on the Sabbath day in an abuse of what God actually had said in his word, Jesus is looking at the suffering people around him and says, look, I'm going to heal anyway. I'm going to heal anyway. Even though he knew that would mean that they would hate him and that at that moment when he heals a man with a withered hand that we read in the gospel of Mark, that's the moment the, the Pharisees say, we're going to kill you. We begin plotting to kill you for this act of compassion and mercy. Jesus, unlike human authority, he doesn't manipulate others to advantage himself at their expense. But instead, he disadvantages himself over and over again in order to serve, in order to know, in order to elevate and to give dignity to others, in order to heal others, to forgive, to welcome the sinners and the outcasts and those the rest of ancient society had rejected to welcome them with the hospitality of a good and a gracious and a loving God. He's a shepherd leader and he's different. And in this culture rife with in-groups and out-groups where the consequences of aligning yourself to the wrong party was dangerous, Jesus unflinchingly spoke the truth. He's courageous. He doesn't compromise. He is not a people pleaser. He speaks what is needed what is wise and what is right in every moment in this way that is compelling. He doesn't care what people think about him. He's eager for one thing and one thing only, to please God the Father. See, Jesus is a remarkably different leader. He's not product over people, like a lot of CEOs. He's not impatient with his time. Like, if I'm honest, I often am. He's patient. He's never been in a meeting with somebody where he's looking at his watch wondering when they're going to go away. <laughs> he's not that kind of a God. He's not that kind of a leader. He isn't a, a, a domineering leader at all. He won't press you, manipulate you to his own advantage ever. 
He loves you. He's a good shepherd. And the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. And this Jesus, we have to have it fixed so clearly in our minds. He is the model for every form of leadership in the church and outward into this world. He is the one that the elders of Christ City Church must imitate. Even as Peter himself said to the elders of Asia Minor in one of the letters that he wrote in 1 Peter 5, verses 2 to 4, he said, Shepherd the flock of God that's among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, not because it's just something that you got to do to get the job done, but willingly, as God would have you. God who himself is the shepherd who tenderly cares for his sheep. Don't do it for shameful gain, but eagerly. Don't do it to domineer over those in your charge, but be examples to the flock. Examples of what? Examples of what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus. Examples of Christ-likeness. And he says, when the chief shepherd appears, that's Jesus, shepherd over all, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Grace City, some churches today, they prioritize when they're looking for a pastor, they're looking to appoint an elder, they prioritize a CV or a resume. The Bible never does. The Bible prioritizes Christian character in the image of Jesus Christ. Stop and think for a minute. How many scandals, the ones that you can even think of in your mind in the church, would have been stopped if when leaders were appointed, the thing that was sought above everything else was the character of Christ? I think a lot of our problems in the church would have been fixed with just that. Christ City, for us to flourish here in this church, you need to know this, and I want to drill it into your minds because you need to hold me accountable to this and the rest of the elders. You do not need celebrity elders. You do not need tremendously well-spoken, charismatic, or dynamic elders. You don't need them. You don't need elders that are tremendous businessmen. What you need are elders who love Jesus Christ with all of their heart. What you need are elders who love the people in this church with the same love that they've received themselves from Jesus Christ. You need elders that are full of the Holy Spirit of God, that are sensitive to his word, that live lives of humility and repentance, that are empowered day by day to courageously teach what God's word says, not serving anyone else but God most over all as they humbly live for his glory. You know, the more I've been reading about elders this week, I've been trembling. I'm just, it's a, it's, this is a hard sermon to preach. Because I know how far I have to grow. And I know how far my brother Doug has to grow, my brother Jonathan has to grow. I know they know that more than, than, than me. We are imperfect elders. We are imperfect elders. But Christ City, we do love Jesus deeply. And we love you deeply. And we desire to serve you better than we have for the glory of God. So the application that I have here is just, can you do this? Can you pray for us daily? Pray for us that we would be more like Jesus. You need it and we need it. And yet, 
That said, if all that we had were wistful dreams of growing to be more like Jesus, nothing would help when we fall horribly short of being like Jesus. And that's why we need this other point, this, this third point. That's why we need accountability. Look at our third point. Shepherd leadership is accountable leadership. And look again at 1 Peter 5, 2-4, and especially the last portion. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. So in distinction to CEOs, to kings, or to politicians, elders are accountable to someone else. They're accountable to God. Not just shareholders, but to God. And all authority that we have is just borrowed authority. I think in a lot of ways, and I feel this all the time as an elder, my authority is pretty laughable by worldly standards. Right? All I can do is teach the Bible. And you can say, you know what? That's enough. I'm going to go to a different church. That, that's kind of where it stops. Right? All the authority that we have in the church is just borrowed authority. It's God's authority. There's one chief shepherd and it's not me. It's Jesus. And all of us are accountable first of all to him. For the leaders here at the church, I'm accountable, Jonathan's accountable, Doug's accountable in all of our lives, in all of our teaching to the chief shepherd and we will give an account to him. And if we've done things faithfully, he will reward us and if not, he will judge us. Like James 3 verse 1 says, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. Can you pray for us? <laughs> but all of us in the church, we're under the authority of the chief shepherd. Us for our leading and you for your following. If your obedience according to the word of God. See, Paul, the apostle, he was an elder who knew this well. And even as he served others, he was always clear that his first priority was to serve God and God alone. This speaks to my soul. Jesus cares only about serving God, the Father. Paul, in the same way, knows I can serve a lot of churches and plant a lot of churches, but I am here to serve one person, God overall. And he said in Galatians chapter 1, verse 10, For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? <clears throat> Am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. Pray for us, Christ City. It is so tempting all the time to try in our labors to serve you rather than God. We struggle with it. And we will not serve you if we try to serve you instead of God. We will only serve you if we serve God first and foremost of all. So pray for us in this. Elders are first accountable to God. Second, an elder is accountable to the church. And again, not accountable to do whatever the church would want them to do. Accountable to be held accountable by the church to teach and to live according to the Bible. So again, not by anyone's own standards or opinions, but by the word of God. You guys hold us accountable to the word of God. This happens in a number of different ways at Christ City Church. First of all, I am accountable in a plurality of leadership to the other elders. Praise God, I do not do this alone. Jonathan and Doug have often, I was going to say frequently, I don't know if it's frequently, they have often in the past rebuked me and I've needed it. It's a blessing to be held accountable by other elders. And they have the authority to have me fired. And if I don't teach or don't live in accordance with the word of God in an unrepentant way, then they ought to have me fired. And in the same way, they are accountable to the rest of us. Second, that the 
way, second in Christ City Church, we are accountable to you guys. The elders are accountable to the congregation. You need to know that you have an authority to bring forward concerns that you have about elders in Christ City Church. And you ought to do that. You can, can bring things and concerns forward to us. And, and if there is a, an appropriate time and a moment, then we need to actually remove elders for the ways that they're not living faithfully according to God's word uh, in their lives or in their teaching. Here at Christ City Church, we are part of a network of churches. And that means that we've all covenanted together to obey the word of God according to our theological convictions. So you can find what we believe on our website. It's under the About Us. You can look at our, our theology, our statement of faith. You can read it. And if there's a time that Christ City Kitsilano is no longer teaching and living according to Jesus in this, in this way, you have the authority, again, to call up the other pastors of Christ City Church whose names you can find on the website and say, hey, there's a problem at Christ City Kitsilano. Would you please fix it? Would you please lead us back into biblical faithfulness? And then we are also accountable in this church to our denomination. We are a Mennonite Brethren Church. So if we depart from our convictions as Mennonite Brethren Churches, which you can also find a link to, it's also on our website at the bottom of that statement of faith. There's a link to the Mennonite Brethren Statement of Faith. If we depart from that, you can reach out to the British Columbia, Columbia Conference of Mennonite Brethren Churches to have this church brought back into conformity with the Word of God. This is not theoretical. Very recently, I was at a denominational conference and I was so encouraged because the conference has made a move to really stand on their statement of faith to stand on the word of God as it's been protected by the statement of faith that governs our conference. And recently, they've removed churches from our denomination for, for departing from biblical teaching, from leaving the, the teaching of the Bible in matters pertaining to God's good purposes for our sexuality. He says, no, you can't be part of this denomination any longer. And it's a good thing. There's an accountability there. I read something similar that happened this week, actually, in the Anglican Communion of Churches. I was very encouraged by this. Maybe you've seen that. Um, recently, the Archbishops Lawrence Mbanda of Nigeria, Henry Ndukuba of Rwanda, and Stephen Kaziimba of Uganda wrote a letter formally rebuking the Church of England and the Archbishop of Canterbury <laughs> and saying, no, we will not follow you to biblical unfaithfulness. And in fact, just to remind you, Archbishop, in the first four centuries of the church, Africa protected Rome from heresy. Africa protected the ancient church from departing from the teaching of God's word. And we're worried that it's happening right now again. Praise God for those faithful archbishops. Praise God for them. See, shepherd leadership is accountable leadership, first to God, second to the church at a variety of levels. So here's the application point. Be wary of any church that is not accountable. Be wary of any church leader that is not an accountable leader. Be wary of church leaders that, that will not humbly receive feedback and criticism. Be wary of those that isolate themselves from people and say, I don't, I don't hear anything that anyone has to say. I'm going to do things my own way. That is a recipe for scandal. It's a recipe for disaster in the church. All right, God in his wisdom has given shepherd leaders to his church. And that means in his wisdom, it is for our good. It is for our flourishing and our growth to come under the authority and shepherding care of the leaders that God has appointed. I want to consider last, our very brief point, shepherd leadership is needed leadership. 
And look at Peter and Paul's admonition to the church congregations uh, in the letters that they wrote. Peter says first, likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Be subject to the elders. And clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. Certainly that means also for elders to you guys. There's no place for an arrogant elder. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And Paul, in one of my favorite letters in the New Testament, 1 Thessalonians, he says this, We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. So the Bible's answer to the questions that we have today about corrupt leadership, they're unique. Because the Bible does not say leadership and authority is bad, therefore reject it. The Bible does not say, go out and live by your own authority. Let's think like we are accustomed to wanting to do. And the Bible doesn't say, on the other hand, leadership and authority are good in and of themselves. So just submit without question and lead without accountability. He doesn't say that either. What the Bible says is shepherd leadership that is an imitation of Jesus who gave his life for the church that's according to scripture is good. And that when it is those things held accountable to the word of God, it will lead to your growth if you're willing to follow the leaders that God has given. It's for the good and the growth of the church. These shepherd leaders are needed leaders because without them, we are all like sheep in the wilderness of ancient Judea. We need leaders in the church who will protect us from false teaching, who can rebuke us when our lives are sway off and depart from the word of God, who can call us to faithfulness to God's word. And we need perhaps most of all faithful elders who will be tenderhearted, patient, and merciful, who will be faithful to lead us to good waters, to good pastures, to bring us time and time and time and time again back to Jesus. Back to Jesus, who is the chief shepherd. Back to the one who is the only one who can bring us the life that we long for. So the job of the chief shepherd is not to get in the way of the congregation and Jesus. The job of of us as under shepherds is to pave the way to bring you to Jesus. To point you to Jesus again and again and again so that he can minister to your soul in ways that we cannot. Our job is just to bring you to him. It's what I need. It's what we all need because there's nothing more than we, that we need in our lives in the love of God and the grace of God, the forgiveness of God, the mercy of God, the presence of God through reconciliation with God and the union with God that only comes through living richly in relationship with Jesus Christ. And if we're honest, we all have moments in our lives when we need somebody else to lead us back to Jesus. I need it and I know you need it. Right? Because we go astray. We get hard-hearted. We, we start going down a path that leads to destruction. We need somebody else to come alongside. I need it in my life all the time. I need to be shepherded. It's why I think plurality of eldership is so important because I am shepherded. And I have Jonathan and Doug and Pastor Jake and Sam and John and Brett and the other elders of the three churches regularly encourage me challenge me, call me to repentance, remind me again and again and again of Jesus' goodness. And also, I have them in my life to tenderly care for me. 
to come alongside. And, and when I'm discouraged or worn out, they can pick me up. They can encourage me. They can bless me, remind me of the sweetness of knowing who Jesus is and to go to him. And if I need it, you need it too. We all need this. So, are elders perfect? By no means. We're just under-shepherds. Under-shepherds under Jesus. Seeking to faithfully lead people to joyfully obey the good shepherd and to find life in him and him alone. But because God is so good, he is pleased to use even imperfect elders to accomplish his purposes. He is gracious and merciful and kind. Would you pray with me? Father, we need your help. Father, we're so grateful for your kindness to us. We're so grateful that you are the good shepherd. God, we're thankful that, that you, in your mercy and your power, can use even imperfect leaders to accomplish good purposes and good things for your name. Father, I pray that you would cause a, a real deep accountability to the word of God to grow in my heart and Jonathan's heart and Doug's heart, the elders of Christ City Church. I pray that we would be quick to repent. I pray that we would be humble. I pray that the congregation would increasingly hold us accountable to the word of God. But I pray that you would sustain all of us, um, that you would be merciful to, to cause great fruit to abound at Christ City Church as all of us run to you again and again, to Jesus Christ, who is the vine, that we'd abide in you richly, that all together we would live faithfully according to your word and love you with all of our heart and bear much fruit for your kingdom here in Vancouver. Lord, would you make us more like Jesus, we pray through the ministry of your elders. It's in his name that we pray these things. Amen.